You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Sanity. This is Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host, agent provocateur, joined as always by Pastor Jacob Menzel. How you doing, Jake? Doing well. How are you, Nathan? I'm fantastic, as always. Supercalifragilistic. Let's be allodocious, let's say. And over there, we've got the man, the myth, the legend, the engineer, the guy that turns the knobs and dials. He's wearing the jeans and the shirt. His name is Benjamin Solzer. How you doing, Ben? Good, Nathan. Ben, have you noticed something about Sound of Sanity lately? No, Nathan. Have you noticed how... Oh, you haven't noticed? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, Do you not listen to the show? Ah, uh, man, he hasn't noticed. Jake? Ben, we've been working really hard. Production value. We've been trying to we've add a We've been working polish, really hard to, to, it. to make the show better for everybody, more enjoyable, tight, and compact. Mm-hmm. And that's taken a lot of time and effort and energy and some some money mm-hmm. going into it. If you listeners appreciate that, you can go to warhornmedia.com, click on the give button and give a nice little tax deductible donation to uh, help support us as we try to improve everything we do across the board at Warhorn Media. That's We'd appreciate absolutely that. right. Yep. You know, I really think of our listeners as, you know, it, it's like we're a family. We're a family. And oh my goodness. No, <laughs> the devil's advocacy alarm. <laughs> what are we not a family? <laughs> Do we have a traitor in our midst? Ben, did you activate the alarm? Well, I, uh, I have some stuff I really want to talk about with you guys. Maybe later, though. I no, I didn't push the button. You didn't push the button. <laughs> no, I. I There's just. I, well, ben, if you didn't push the button, now I'm a bit of a logician, and if you didn't press the button, I didn't press the button. There's only one other person that could have pressed the button. Huh? Yeah. <clears throat> it was me. I pressed the button. DAA, it's part of the show where someone has to argue for the opposite of what we've been arguing. Jake, you pressed that. We haven't even, we haven't asserted anything. I asserted I'm me. I asserted you're you. I asserted he's him. You got a problem with that? Well, I might have a problem with Ben, but, <laughs> but that's aside from the point. I, I pressed the button because I was, here's the thing. I, I want to hijack this show and make it one big devil's advocacy response to last week's episode. I've been thinking a lot about what we talked about and what we learned about Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson. The idea of narrative truth being something that everybody needs because everybody needs to find their place in history or place in a story. As I've thought about it, what I've realized is that as we have cast off Christianity and as we have cast aside scripture, we have had right alongside of that, a rise in fiction across the board. The development of the novel may be a product of the fact that we have cast off scripture altogether. The development of comic books and comic book heroes over the past, even the past 20 years, the farther along we get in rejecting scripture, it seems like the the more we need these big mythological hero's journey kinds of things, that's got me feeling uneasy. And I just want to attack the idea that that we should even be involved in reading, participating, watching, you know, the next Marvel movie, anything like that, because it seems like it just corresponds one-to-one with the decline and fall of Western civilization, and I don't want to be a part of that. Dread it. Run from it. 
destiny still arrives. Okay. Well, I thought I was going to solve the the problem of whether people should homeschool, private school, or public school. I had the answer for people, but DB Cooper over here. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess some we'll, other time, guys. I guess we'll do that show. <laughs> well, I, let's circle back around, Jake. You're playing devil's advocate here based on our episode last week. Now, last week we discussed specifically the episode. People can go listen to it if they like it. It was about Jordan B. Peterson, who is very much influenced by the works of psychologist Carl Jung. And both of those guys basically interpret human experience through narrative. Yeah, narrative, symbolism, archetypes. Jung identified all kinds of symbols like the tree or the snake or the flood. Right. So both Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson are looking at life in in a large part through story. They're looking at the scripture. Jordan Peterson's always talking about the scripture, and he's talking about primal myths and, and stories, and he's using it to interpret our lives. So the person who's most famous for doing this in the 20th century is Mr. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell was a mythologist, actually. He studied comparative religion and comparative myth, yeah. and he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So whether it was the scriptures or Norse mythology or Homer, he looked in all of those myths to try to establish what's the one story, what are the elements of all of these stories that we find recurring. He distilled them into what he called the monomyth and what we've come to call today and identify almost exclusively with him, although comes up all over the place, as the hero's journey. He was very much dovetailing, in fact, in the very first, like in the preface, he quotes Sigmund Freud. He references Carl Mm. Jung and Freud. He's referencing these guys, and he's trying to do the work of pulling out the the monomyth, the hero's journey, the one story that's at the center of all humanity. And the goal is to give us a, non-religious way of processing our lives through story, the one story of mankind. Yes, there's a documentary which I watched, which we'll play a couple quotes from here throughout the episode. There's a gentleman that interviewed him. His name is Bill Moyers, and he interviewed Joseph Campbell right before he died. Apparently, it became one of the most popular programs in PBS's history. Letters poured in. People loved this thing. Moyers, looking back on it later in his life, trying to explain it, said, quote, at a time when millions of people were yearning for a way to talk about religious experience without a rigid belief system, Campbell gave them the language for it, unquote. So what language did Campbell give them? He gave them the language of story. He looked across all the myths, and he looked at what is common to the story of, I mean, he would compare Jesus and Buddha and Prince Charming and Odysseus and all these guys, and he would say, what are the common elements? Why myths? Why should we care about myths? These bits of information from ancient times, which have to do with the themes that have supported man's life, built civilizations, informed religions over the millennia, have to do with deep inner problems, inner mysteries, inner uh, thresholds of passage. And if you don't know what the guide signs are along the way, you have to work it out yourself. But once this catches you, there is always such a feeling from one or another of these traditions of information of a deep, rich, life-vivifying sort that you, you want to give it up. So the way to think about Joseph Campbell then is he basically looked at the myths 
and the fairy tales that we tell and ultimately the story of redemption. And he pulled out the essential elements and he distilled them and gave a story writers a process to telling a compelling redemptive hero's journey type of story. George Lucas, I think it's important to say when he was writing the original Star Wars, the most influential movie of the last 40 years, he explicitly drew from this work, created Star Wars based on the hero's journey as distilled by Joseph Campbell. And then every movie since then has ripped off Star Wars and in so doing explicitly or unexplicitly made use of the hero's journey. And it's a great effect. And so what you're asserting, Jake. The devil is saying that, first of all, all of those stories harken back to and are ripping off the Bible, actually. Right. And all attempts to tell that kind of redemptive story outside of Scripture are ways to circumvent Scripture and replace Scripture and things that we just need to get away from altogether. It might sound a little bit petty for Jake to assert that as the devil, but... I don't really think it is because you see the religious fervor that people go to Star Wars movies with, that people go to Marvel. People actually are. There are actually millions of people out there that go to Star Wars, for example, for a religious experience, to watch their heroes sacrifice themselves instead of believing in Jesus Christ who actually came and died and sacrificed himself. These storytellers are exploiting our need for redemption, and they're doing it in such a way as to keep us from seeking out redemption. They're doing it in such a way as to offer us a kind of redemptive catharsis in place of an actual personal quest for redemption that can be found only in God alone. It's a placebo that makes it's you a, feel better instead of Yeah, an it makes cure. you feel better, and then you don't feel the need to then deal with your conscience and deal with a holy God, and you end up replacing the much more potent reality of God's redemptive history with lightsabers and the force, magic hammers and shields. And that's garbage. And we just need to we need to throw it all out and burn it. I only wish I could I could hear a story right now to remind me of all the ways that the hero's journey is so inadequate, just like Jake is saying. Well Ben, I I I, I thought you'd never say that. <laughs> oh <laughs> But you did, which means <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> that's like my call to a journey into a segment that we're calling Story Time with Uncle Nathan. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess with ruby red lips and skin that was white as snow, which is why all the people called her the Joker. Because that's what she looked like. The princess had a wicked stepmother. How wicked was this woman? Her parents were Hitler and Barbara Streisand. Anyway, the evil stepmother, whose name was Barbara Streisand II, hated the princess because she was always leaving trails of breadcrumbs all over the palace to feed the ugly ducklings. So the evil stepmother bade her huntsman to take the princess into the woods and bring back her heart. But when the huntsman looked upon the princess's beauty, he couldn't bring himself to take her heart. And so instead, he took her pancreas and a couple of kidneys Sad, sobbing, kidneyless, the princess stumbled through the woods until she came upon a magic castle which was owned by a terrible beast. But the princess fell in love with the beast and thought, even though there's lots of things that are terribly wrong about the beast, I can use my powers as a woman to make him into a better man. That's a good plan that will work for me perfectly, just like it always does for women everywhere all the time. Luckily, the beast also fell in love with the princess, and they got married. And when the princess kissed the beast, he was instantly transformed through the power of true love before her very eyes into three little pigs. 
This was very strange, as most men, after they're married, only turn into one pig. Anyway, one of these pigs was too big, one of the pigs was too small, but one of the pigs was just right. So the princess had that one for dinner. But when she sliced open its stomach, who should be in there but Little Red Riding Hood, three blind mice, and two ugly stepsisters. The two stepsisters were not just ugly on the inside, but they were also ugly on the outside. Boy, were they ugly. Anyway, the stepsisters immediately put the princess to work among the soot and the cinders. And so, of course, what did they nickname her but Rapunzel? One day she was in the tower, seven dwarves showed up and called out, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. So Rapunzel let down her hair, but the tortoise beat her hair to the bottom. Suddenly, three fairies appeared, named Jasmine, Flounder, and Maleficent. They began smashing all of the princess's glass slippers out in the pumpkin patch. And that's why the smashing pumpkins will never be reunited. And so springtime returned to Pride Rock. And it was time to grant the genie his freedom. And as the two dogs ate the spaghetti, a shot rang out. And Bambi's mother plummeted from Big Ben and was dashed upon Splash Mountain. It's a small world, after all. Okay, well, uh, that was completely pointless. So oh, I, I feel really inspired, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Is this uh, pretending a, a new book or something like that that I get to burn? Because I'm starting to look forward to that. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll talk about that later in the show. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. Well, guys, let's 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 talk about this. So Jake, I'm just gonna yeah, I'm gonna take the reins because I'm the devil. devil. Here's my case. The rise of the novel and the rise of narrative fiction in the West is a necessary and unintentional byproduct of the Renaissance, of the Reformation, and of the Enlightenment, of casting off scripture, casting off the Bible. It's something that has risen to replace scripture for people and to do the work that scripture is doing in people's lives. We throw away and become disillusioned with scripture, and as we have done that, right one-to-one corresponding with that has been the rise of narrative fiction in the West in a way that we had never seen before. So the very first novel in the West is what? Don Quixote. Don Quixote. When was it published? Does anybody know? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Published in two volumes in 1605 and 1615. Now, what's significant about that time period? Well, it's about 100 years after Martin Luther published his 95 Theses. By that time, the Renaissance had been in full swing for a couple hundred years. The principal players of the Protestant Reformation had already died, and the fallout of the Reformation had begun in a series of peasant wars that had taken place across Europe. The first wave of disillusionment had begun to set in. That's the point. And right then, right at that exact time, two things happen. The novel as a form of literature makes its appearance in Don Quixote, and at the exact same time, some playwright in London begins laying the foundation for English literature, William Shakespeare. Over the course of the 17th century, narrative fiction as a whole would rise dramatically. John Milton wrote Paradise Lost. Christopher Marlowe wrote Dr. Faustus. In the 18th century, you have the rise and spread of Enlightenment philosophy. David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Adam Smith, Voltaire. 
These guys are all writing in the 18th century. At the same time, we have writers like Jonathan Swift and Daniel Defoe and Radcliffe writing. But then we come to the 19th century, and that's when Darwin hits, and that's when the existentialist philosophers hit. And at the same time, we have Austin and Dickens and Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and the Brontes and Shelley and George Eliot and Herman Melville and Bram Stoker and Oscar Wilde and Mark Twain and Joseph Conrad and Thomas Hardy and Nathaniel Hawthorne, and the list goes on and on and on. Here's what happens. As we tear down scripture, as it lost its place in defining our lives and in telling the story of mankind and our place in the world, we began at the same time to create new stories for ourselves to process our lives with, and we began consuming them at a rate that we had never seen before. Charles Spurgeon was pastoring in London as all of this was happening, and this is what he had to say about it, and this is in 1888. How many young people there are whose hearts are just a road along which thoughts of levity and desires for amusement are continually going? How many precious hours are wasted over the novels of the day? I think that one of the worst enemies of the gospel of Christ at the present time is to be found in the fiction of the day. People get these worthless books and sit and sit, forgetful of the duties of this world and of all that relates to the world to come, just losing themselves in the story of the hero or heroine. I have seen them shedding tears over things that never happened, as if there were not enough real sorrows in the world for us to grieve over. So these feet of fictitious personages, these feet of foolish frivolities, these feet of mere nonsense or worse, keep traversing the hearts of men and making them hard so that the gospel cannot enter. Then you come to the 20th century, and in the 20th century, things just go out of control. At the same time that Freud and Jung are developing their theories of psychoanalysis, you have F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway and James Joyce developing modernist novels. In 1933, the same year that Carl Jung published his famous volume, Man in Search of a Soul, and don't let the irony of that name get lost on you, two Jewish boys in Cleveland, Ohio, were creating a little character based explicitly and entirely on the life of Moses. Although you could be forgiven if you thought that he was based on the life of Jesus. That character? Superman. A character that would go on to define 20th century heroism. Then in 1949, that's when Joseph Campbell hits the scene. He writes The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which we already talked about, and that book would reshape the way that stories were told from Star Wars to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the biggest thing to happen in storytelling. It's just swept the world. What we have done is we have been slowly replacing the true stories, the history of Scripture, the history of redemption, with these redemptive stories that borrow all the elements from scripture, but just recast them with our own existentialist philosophy underneath it. And this is why it's so dumb for the Gospel Coalition to just be like, hey, look, here's another movie that follows the story of redemption. It shows that we all long for redemption, and it's just at the heart of everybody's longing for redemption. And we can just use this and package it and tell people that, you know, what you really long for is redemption. Everybody knows that. It's calculated. They mean to be ripping off the story of redemption from scripture and feeding it to people in a way that's cathartic so that they don't feel the need to actually seek out true redemption. That's the whole point. Hey guys, did you notice that there are themes of redemption in this story? No kidding. They have a whole book about it. It's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's how you have a redemptive story with a thousand different faces on it told a thousand different ways and it all hits the same beats and fulfills that longing in the moment for a redemptive story. And so what we have to do, and I think that maybe the only way to combat this nonsense is to throw it all out the window and burn it. Because what we're ultimately doing is being complicit in the undermining of scripture. 
we're being complicit in the fall of Western civilization. So the only thing we can do is to stop paying our money, to stop allowing ourselves to seek catharsis and cheap thrills in cheap ways and return to the scriptures because there inside the pages of the Bible is the real deal. It's the story of mankind, the real true story of mankind, the real fall of mankind, the real redemption of mankind, a real hero who has come to save and redeem humanity, and a pattern of life where we follow in his footsteps by taking up our crosses and following him. Let's stop buying into the ripoffs. Let's stop buying into the cheap thrills and the gospel of catharsis that's being sold to us in the movie theaters and in the novels and in the comic books. And let's return to scripture. And while we're at it, let's abandon this whole tack about myths and the great myths and the great fairy tale that we're all a part of. And we're going to redeem the culture by embedding that one true myth in our artwork and redeem the culture through art. Because that's just us following after the pagans. That's just us being Jungians. Let's reject all of that. And let's just return to the pure milk of the word. Okay, Mr. Devil. So what it sounds like you're saying to me, I guess, is that we just shouldn't tell any stories at all. The story is bad. That's, I guess, why the Bible never uses any stories and everything should just be about Jesus, which is why the Bible only contains the Gospels and the Gospels only contain the character of Jesus. And actually, there's just red letters. I'm being sarcastic. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I caught on to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you are... Honestly, you're, you're trying to just tell me, I mean, this just feels like the ultimate Jesus juke here. You're, everything has to be about Jesus? Is that what you're saying? The Bible has all kinds of stories that are a part of the story of redemption. What I'm saying is we need to get rid of Captain America, and we need to get rid of Superman, and we need to get rid of Star Wars. Yeah, but I like Captain America. I like Marvel movies, and you know, Maybe. I, re I read my Bible. I go to church. I put God first, and then I have some things that I enjoy. And they're not, you know, there's not a bunch of sex or violence or anything like that in those movies. And you know, I, I don't see why it should have to be such a big deal. Well, maybe the reason you like Captain America and Marvel movies is because you are really using it as a, as a crutch for not really giving yourself to Scripture. One. Even if you can say that that's not true, you're enabling a whole bunch of people by giving Marvel your money in, in, in doing shows about it. You're enabling a whole bunch of people to continue to do that instead of giving themselves to Scripture. That's an easy thing to say, but I mean, come on, Marvel, oh, dar darn, Marvel got my 10 bucks. I guess, you know, that's really going to help them build their empire. Uh, how many Christians in this country are giving their 10 bucks to Marvel every time Marvel has a movie? or 20 bucks, and then turning around and buying it on Blu-ray. How many, if every Christian in America stopped, would Marvel still be able to be Marvel? I don't think so. Well, let me just come back to my first point, Devil, because I think it's one that you still need to defeat if you're going to be any kind of credible devil. What kind of stories, are, are you actually telling me that we cannot tell any stories besides Bible stories? What I'm saying is that we need to get back to the foundations and the foundations that Western civilization are, are built on, which, which is the Bible and the stories of Scripture. And there are plenty of stories and hero stories and exciting hero stories in the Bible itself. The story of David and Goliath has been entertaining children for thousands of years now, and it's a cool story. And it's a real story, and it's a true story, and it's a story that tells a bigger story within the story. It tells but, a story But the Bible of, is meant to actually edify us. Well, it's actually meant to save us. Like, it's designed to do 
real work for our souls. It sounds like what you're describing could very easily lead to us just regarding the Bible as a work of entertainment. No, as, what I'm as, saying. As actually just a comic book, as the Marvel movie. You know, I don't have Marvel movies, but I sure do enjoy reading those Bible stories. I'm not Wasn't trying there to, a, no. a generation of kids before the comic books that may have been tempted to make an idol out of Bible stories in just that sense? Uh, y- yeah, maybe, but... Moral atheist modernists raised on Bible stories who used them. You know, people like Samuel Clemens, for example. All his writing replete with Bible stories, David and Goliath, but he didn't believe any of it. You're never going to be able to stop unbelief. But what you can do is cut off a means of circumventing people having to deal with the Bible itself. At least Samuel Clemens was forced to deal with the God of the Bible. Today, Samuel Clemens isn't, he doesn't have to think about the Bible one bit. He doesn't have to process his life through the stories of Scripture. He doesn't have to deal with the God of the Bible or anything that you find in Scripture. He gets to deal with Star Wars and process his life through Star Wars. I'm saying let's remove the middleman. And let's, let's feed people scripture again. And yeah, people are going to twist that and they're going to pervert it and they're going to do dumb things with it, but they'll be forced to deal with the Bible. And weren't, weren't things better when people were being forced to deal with the Bible and process their lives through and against scripture? So here's what I propose to you. We cut out the middleman. We go to the gospel first. We go to church. We serve God. We make sure everything's in its place. We make sure we're not making an idol. And then if we're going to enjoy these things and if... Let's even understand that some of the reason that we enjoy this stuff, that I might like to watch Captain America fight Thanos and sacrifice himself for humanity, is because it reflects something great about God. Uh, just in the same way that I understand that God's fatherhood is, 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 is the real fatherhood that my own dad and everyone's fatherhood is based on, I understand that Captain America is the cheap knockoff, but there's no prohibition in the scripture against enjoying on some small level the cheap knockoff from time to time when everything's ordered well and in its place and you're serving God and doing his will. But, but things aren't ordered well. The, we don't live in a world where what you just described is a reality or anything close to a reality, and you know it. And that's honestly, do you really feel good about going and seeing all of these Marvel movies? Do you really feel good about finding your thrills there? Because the reality is you're participating at that point, in a culture that is built on entertainment, that is built on all of this cheap, false catharsis, built on and ripping off, uh, uh, ripping off scripture, you know that for all of your talk about the idea of centering your life on scripture and on the church, that's not what most people do. Even most people that claim to be Christians, and it's not what you're tempted to do. You're not tempted first to process your life through the stories of the Bible, but through the stories that you see on screen. <sighs> You make a fair point, devil. I guess we'll think about it and come back right after this. Good news, Jake! Oh boy. Ben's got another book to tell us about. Great news, Nathan. I just bought another box of matches. You know, my my previous books have focused on... Sucking? (laughs) That's very funny, Jake. And this new book, it's called The Sensitive Hero, Seven Sensitive Steps to Becoming the Hero on Your Own Journey. How can I, how can someone, how can one become a more sensitive hero? What's what's an example of how someone might not be sensitive in their day-to-day life? What if one were to send a manuscript to another and that second one, instead of being careful to 
burn Examine the trash. <laughs> said manuscript and then understand the perspective of the author and the hours and hours of labor that went into that manuscript. What if that second one burned the manuscript of the first one? Now that would be pretty insensitive. Does such a frankly Hitler-like individual exist in this world? I won't say uh, yay or nay definitively, Nathan, because if there were such Hitler-like individuals, I wouldn't want them to feel too targeted. But how could such an individual become a more sensitive hero? Realize that you are kind of like Hitler. I mean, if you are. Kind of like the burning of of manuscripts example that I gave. That would be an example. My book is really written to help people get out of that lizard being's belly of contemptuous contempt. How's that working for you? You know, I, I've stopped spinning my little dog around so he falls over. Can you, can you, can you teach the dog to eat paper? That's, for instance? I've heard you know, dogs like to eat homework. Maybe they'll... You know, I feel... <laughs> you are really funny, but I've, it's becoming a little more urgent. I get this book to you and that you read it and really consider what it's saying. Well, Let I, me go uh, light the fire in the, uh, <laughs> in the trash barrel. And, uh, oh man, I need to go work on my work on my book. Hey, I have an idea for a book. It's about a passive aggressive moron who runs around waving his trash that he thinks is really great oh. in everybody's oh. face. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know that sounds like a really great book for you to write, Jake. Yeah, uh, I think so. I've got a lot of experience with those kinds of. Well, people. you know what, guys, I need to run. <laughs> I, I'm Good. off to win the hand of the princess of sweet and gracious sensitivity and financial publishing success. Why don't you go on and do that? All right, I'll see you past the threshold. Bye, Ben. Good luck. Gosh, Jake, when are we publishing this book about the moron with the trash? Shut up. Aw. Let's, right. okay, so the devil's basically saying what? The devil's saying that the rise in novels and fictional stories and superhero stories not only corresponds to the casting off of biblical faith in the West, but is a direct product of that. The way that we should respond to that as Christians is by getting rid of our novels, having book-burning parties, (laughs) and never watching hero's journey type stories again, because we're just participating in this culture that's trying to replace scripture with its own little hero's journey garbage. And we get our own kicks out of that and are tempted to center our lives on those stories and build our lives on those stories too, instead of on scripture. And so we're just idolaters like everybody else. Okay. I will give the devil his first point. I'm not sure I'll give him his conclusions, but I will give him that art flourishes and takes a bad and overwhelming place in society when faith diminishes. And who knows, you know, we can talk chicken and egg if we want to, but basically you can, if you look across history and you take off your your blinders and you have eyes to see, you will see that in decadent cultures, the arts have a place of prominence that are just simply ungodly. People make idols out of their artists and people make idols out of their stories and their narratives. There's no arguing that that's not what people have done. We're not going to be able to defeat the devil by, we, we might as well give up on that tack right now. But we're also not going to be able, I mean, the devil can't, he can't hope to keep people from telling stories. Right. Because we're made in God's image. That does mean that we're going to be storytellers. And people have always been storytellers, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And and you alluded to this before the break. What we have to do actually is put the arts and storytelling in their proper place in society. Mm-hmm subordinate the arts and subordinate our storytelling to the scriptures and to church, to the people of God. Right. Which is hard to do, which is hard to do because 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of Christians out there, even Christians that I respect in one way or another, who have given in in this place, who have decided that, you know, you, I mean, you hear people talk about their narrative, their story. I'm always uneasy with that kind of language, even, and, yeah. and, and not even like, sure, there's Brian McLaren and all those guys, Rob but, Bell but and... there's also conservative Christians who believe in the things that we believe, who have embraced a more sort of narrative-centric, story-centric way of expressing themselves. And I am uneasy about that. Yeah, they've, they really have in that sense, jumped onto the Jungian train bandwagon thing. Mm -hmm. And they think that they've got some new profound insight that all our stories are stories of redemption. And if we just tell the true redemption stories in our novels and, and in, God is in the, the greatest arts, storyteller of the ball. God's the greatest story. And what Jesus kind of is the one true myth. And, yeah. It's thing. like, I don't think it's always a hundred percent bad to talk that way, but whenever, when the whole world's talking that way, you want to be careful about it. When you, when you find yourself aligning your values with the same values that a bunch of terrible, awful people <laughs> are going too far here. No, no. Uh, you may not necessarily be doing anything wrong, but you might want to stop and take your temperature and make sure. Carl Jung was going to save Western civilization by reintroducing the idea of narrative truth, and mm -hmm. he's going to tap into the mythologies, and Jordan Peterson doing the same, same thing. thing yeah. Tap into the mythologies that have arisen from our collective unconscious and just so happened to follow the same beats as the story of redemption in mm -hmm. Scripture. Because those same themes, counterfeits, mm -hmm. show up in other mythologies, he's just going to offer the essential fundamental counterfeit and boil it down to its key elements. If, if our idea is, yeah, man, people really need counterfeits because it primes them for the real thing, mm -hmm. and that's how we're going to redeem the culture throwing the, the, the counterfeit out there all over the place because it will train people up to, well, that's garbage. That's how you get the dumb, opportunistic stuff that we like to make fun of about the Gospel Coalition, where it's like, maybe we can disguise Jesus <laughs> so that he seems more like Doctor Who, and then people that like Doctor Who will like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed even some of these themes in Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. I'm going to write an article called Fifty Shades of Love. <laughs> all these stories really just are all about Jesus, ultimately. Right. It's a machine. Mm -hmm. It really is a machine. People have figured out that if I offer a hero's journey, if I offer a redemptive story arc and provide people with catharsis, people will buy and pay for that because that's what they want. Mm -hmm. That's what they need. That's their felt need. And we have distilled it. And we have a book that distills it for us. Which is a, a Bible for artists, like you it said. It is a Bible for show. artists. And, I, and watching Mr. Campbell's uh, in this program, which he recorded right before he died, it's fascinating. He is a mystic. I mean, like you'd expect, like we talked about how young was, like Jordan Peterson uh, is. But Jordan Peterson does a nice job of not acting like a wacko mystic, which is one of the things that's attractive, rightly or wrongly, about him. Yeah. Campbell is just presenting himself basically as a religious as guru. As a shaman. As a shaman. And he actually, mm. I mean, he, he, he basically compares Freud and Jung to shamans. He's basically saying every culture needs their shaman. Every culture needs their guy who can interpret their dreams and tell them their, their version, their cultural version of this one monomyth, this one story. And so here's the story. Here's the, here are the elements. And we're going to couch it in psychoanalytical terms because we've, that's just the way that we've developed, and that's where we're at. And then it, Campbell comes, and he's like, I'll take the psychoanalytic stuff, and I'm going to couch it in myth and in story. And it was apparently like the, when they did this documentary series, it was one of PBS's hugest things ever. Letters poured in. People 
found themselves having a religious experience, and, and rightly so, because that's what I mean, wrongly so, but rightly so. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that was the point. That was the point. And he's and Campbell says things. I don't remember what his exact phrase is, but he has a phrase that's something like, "Follow your bliss. Follow, follow your bliss. Your bliss, where the deep sense of being in form and 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 going where your body and the soul want to go. Uh, when you have that feeling, then stay with it." And don't let anyone throw you off. I mean, he's just a guru. But but that's why and because he's because he's tapped into these fundamental beats. That's why you can have George Lucas say, "I'm going to rip off the fundamental beats, and I'm going to give you the flattest, most lame characters in the uh, uh, flattest, most lamely acted way possible. The most wooden dialogue. The most wooden garbage dialogue. Are you an angel? What? And I'm going to throw in some cool elements because every story needs some cool details like laser swords. <laughs> People are going to go gaga for it because it's just going to be the pure, undiluted hero's journey that we see. It's going to hit all the same beats that every story hits. And it works. Mm-hmm. And people go gaga for it and they have a religious experience because it gives them tools to process their lives because they see these things as patterns that happen in reality and they see well by the way when they did this documentary series they spent a lot of time actually talking and george lucas probably funded this thing so maybe campbell kind of had to do this but it's just funny to hear them be so religious about like uh, the guy that's interviewing i think his name's boyer that's interviewing campbell he asks him like he says my favorite scene is the scene where they're in the trash compactor now what does that mean <laughs> and campbell says that's the classic part of every myth it's pinocchio being devoured by the whale it's jonah you go into the belly of the beast and then you emerge it with a new self with a new consciousness it's actually funny having a little hindsight in that movie now being 30 years old whatever it is and seeming a little cheesy yeah. to hear these guys talk what, so religiously what would have yeah. felt a lot it would have been easier to be caught up in it back then and see so but, but you have these really cheesy you can be cheesy about it because the beats really do resonate on a deeper level and the characters resonate on a deeper level because they are reflective of the way that God's made the world and the way history is unfolding. And we all do sense that and feel a need for that. But that's just because a false religion and a false God has to tap into something real that's for right. anyone to be able to believe in it. And that's why the, the mythologies across the world tap into the same sorts of things, because they're just trying to be good counterfeits. Yeah, one of my favorite things that G.K. Chesterton ever wrote, it's not a specific quote, but he wrote a little response to an atheist tract where the atheist was saying, how can you believe in Jesus when every culture has its death and resurrection story where the hero comes and he is killed and he rises again? How can G.K. Chesterton says, that's one of the main reasons I believe in Jesus. Of course, if something that cataclysmic, that life-changing, that amazing, that cool, that miraculous happened, every culture was going to have their story about it. We just happen to have the right one. There's reasons for that. There's reasons for believing that. But the fact that a lot of cultures have that same myth, quote unquote, is no reason to discount it. It's absolutely a reason to believe it. So having said all that, it kind of sounds like we're agreeing with the devil, but the devil wants to take it a step further and he wants to say, be an iconoclast, smash the idols, don't go see Star Wars anymore. And we're not prepared to go with him there. And Jake, why not? Dread it. Run from it. Destiny still arrives. Here's the thing, and here's part of what the devil doesn't want to take into consideration and something that I thought about as I was thinking about being the devil. Part of the reason the novel 
for instance, succeeded is this thing called the printing press, Mm -hmm. right? People have always been storytellers. Right. People have always told stories. Technology changes. Our ability to tell stories and distribute those stories change along with the changes in technology. So the printing press comes along. Radio comes along. Television and motion pictures come along. The devil's not wrong that part of the hunger for all kinds of fictional stories, I think, really is related to people rejecting scripture. Mm -hmm. But we're storytellers because we're made in the image of God. That's a good thing. What we need to do is put storytelling in its proper place. It's what you said that I was dismissive of right before the break. We go to church. We build our our lives around scripture. We understand ourselves and our place in history in in terms of redemptive history, in terms of what the Bible tells us about ourselves, what the Bible tells us about the world, what the Bible tells us about sin, mm-hmm. the fall of Adam in the garden. And then we tell our stories and we and we put them in check. We put them in their proper place in our lives. And our desire for transcendence, while it's not, I wouldn't say ultimately an evil thing, has to be put in check too. Yep. A lot of your life, a lot of your religious life even, is meat and potatoes, doing the right thing, obeying the people who are in authority over you, obeying God. There's a lot of life that just simply isn't transcendent. And that's what somebody like Joseph Campbell and a lot of Christians that are into this whole narrative, find your place in the story stuff, are lying to you about, I think, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they're telling you, if you want to feel transcendent all the time, if you want to feel that mystical tug of, of the great eternal story, then you just have to find your place in it and you can kind of think about it and feel so cool. But actually, I'm sorry, you just don't, I don't think like C.S. Lewis's famous essay about how we're all hungry for the transcendent. I don't entirely disagree with that, but also, you know, like... Uh, A whole lot of life is imminent. Yeah. (laughs) In any case, I think what we can say is that just like the appeal of Jordan Peterson represents a massive failure Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in our churches to teach basic, fundamental, this is how you live in this world as a man, mm-hmm. sorts of things. The, the massive success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars is an indictment of the church for failing to really give people the gospel and the true story of redemption. Kids need to grow up knowing their place in history in God's story, which is the story of all mankind, the story of the world as it really is. When we, we raise our kids knowing their place in history and knowing what God expects of them in their lives and teach them the practical, fundamental things, then stories like the Marvel stuff or whatever, or, or the fairy tales that people have always told their kids, whatever, they're, they're going to have a place, but they're going to be relegated to what they ought to be of fun little bit of entertainment at bedtime. Right. You know? Um, it's a little bit like if the church is doing its job, then Jordan B. Peterson's pretty boring, but he does have some common grace that can be helpful. If the church is doing its job, if you're doing your job as a Christian, then, you know, Marvel movies have their place. It's a small place. It's a little bit of, like you said, it's a minute. Maybe they're fun, but they're much sillier and not to be taken as seriously as people take them.
We spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff. I mean, people, you know, the real the devils that are listening to the show right now might be thinking, why do you guys spend all this time talking about story and narrative? That's because we like story and narrative. No two ways about it. We like movies. We like stories. We like novels. We have a whole podcast dedicated to reading novels. We like that kind of stuff a lot, but it just can't be the primary thing in your life. And, and you can't take all your obedience to God and try and filter it through story. There are probably people that should just listen to the devil, you know, and this, we can't bind everyone's consciences and tell them not to drink alcohol, but we can tell drunkards not to drink alcohol. And if you're someone who's drunk on story that can't watch a Star Wars movie without having a religious experience, if you're someone that idolizes whatever it is, sorry, but you might just have to destroy it, that idol in what, your own What life. we can say is that everybody must put their stories in their proper place. And that means that our lives and our kids' lives don't revolve around the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they revolve around Scripture and around God. We're here to help you process these stories, to help you understand what they're doing. But we really, we talk, Nathan and I have been talking about this a lot. We're pretty sick of <laughs> of watching these movies. Yeah. <laughs> People like, oh, you guys get paid to go see movies. It is not everything it's cut out to be. <laughs> it's pretty lame. Just, I, I know, this it's is like, like the I've most first world problem two hours, ever. Three but, hours in the theater. I mean, this. I, I know, I know, I know. Poor me. Poor but, us, yeah. Uh, poor us, but really, honestly, try it. <laughs> I'll leave that there, but yeah. I was trying to think what this was like. Sex. Every wicked religion, every wicked cult elevates sex to a place of primary importance. Now, you can't turn around and smash the idol of sex to the extent that we all have to be monks and go live on mountains. But what we can do is put it in its proper place, which is in the marriage bed, which is in a bigger thing called marriage, which is in a bigger community in the church. And it's, it's one small part of life, but it's a pleasurable part of life. And so the devil, the actual devil comes along and tempts us into making it a huge part of life. And, and, and that's what a lot of Wicked mysticism gives us an excuse to do. So the absolutely the same thing with story. Story's wonderful. It's the spice of, of a lot of life. And so the actual devil comes along and wants to tempt us into building it into a real big idol that it just can't be. You, you interrupted me earlier, Jake. What I was about to say is we have been working to make Sound of Sanity have some higher production values, and that doesn't mean more time and money. I've been enjoying the shows more, so I, I hope people out there will give us your thoughts on that. If you want to support our work and uh, help us to continue making this show as good as possible, go to warhornmedia.com, click on the Give button, and make a tax-deductible donation that you can deduct from your tax. Huh. We'd appreciate it very much. Like Right, Jake? Yeah. Again, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, we appreciate anything that you can do and if you can't do anything that's fine leave us a nice review on itunes if that's, that's yeah. something you can do for free well then you went off to finish writing that book on sensitivity and uh complete your spirit quest or whatever that was did you get everything done nathan i've returned with the elixir of sensitivity i've completed my my hero journey then just go away <laughs> no Oh my goodness, that is that is so. That's just no, the kind of humor that I always associate no, go, with you, Jake. Go away. I'm but just, it seems a little me. Maybe I, I'm you know reading my book being would completely really sincere. Stop. Oh man. Oh man. Stop bringing me your trash. Yeah, yeah. Stop going you on are, your journeys. It's comedy gold, Jake. But I'm well, not being funny. You, 
<laughs> I'm being serious. It's really funny, but <laughs> I just can somebody you help me out? Think about here. it. How do I communicate to this little, moron? I don't want everyone to see his face little, again. You go where other comedians step on a crack. Status Entity was engineered by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Amerson, executive produced like all fine Warhorde products by Nathan Amerson and Jacob Metzl. Until next time, stay sane. <laughs> <laughs>